3: Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willies. Let us engage. It is Politics Done Right. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right on KPFT. Houston's Community Radio. Folks, this is what we do. This is what we are here for. To serve you. You in the community. Anyhow, we have a great show for you today. Juan Rivaldi talks about immigration and strategic transformation. You're going to love that interview, my friends. And of course, we have the one and only Jeff Reese, who is president of Houston's Peace and Justice Center, a very important organization that we are a part of here at KPFT as well. He's going to talk about what we do. He's going to talk about policing and quite a few other things that are going to really pique your interest. So stay tuned for those two great interviews. Uh, But we're going to have a couple of shorts as well. We're going to have impeachment manager Jaime, a little thing he said on MSNBC that I want you guys to listen to. We got to listen in detail to a lot of what's going on out there. And likewise, NPR's Audie Carnish is going to push back on a host who gave a false equivalent, not a false equivalency, but was pretty much placating the unpatriotic, seditionist Insurrectionists that sacked the Capitol on January 6, 2021. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to go through. But before we get started, I want to remind all of you that we are in fund drive mode here at KPFT, your community radio station. What we want to do is we need to keep funded so that we can provide and continue providing this type of information to you so i am asking you so kindly to please call 713-526-5738 again that number is 713-526-5738 and consider making a contribution in the name of politics done right to kpft we need your support you can also go directly online at kpft.org and hit the donate button and please select politics done right in the name that you're donating if you we have some specials here at kpft or at at politics done right for you uh there are two of my books that we are uh that we that we're given as tokens of appreciation for your contributions we have my newest book it's worth it how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. Like I tell people all of the times, folks, it's not going to be enough for just a whole bunch of progressives to win the day and, and put our demands onto people or put our good nature and the good things that we believe in onto people. We have to first sell it to people because we know that's what they say they want. But it's not only about selling it to people. It's about one of the reasons we don't have more harmony. It's there are those who are creating distrust in our entire society for the gain of a few. We have to be able to overcome that. How do we overcome that? We have to learn how to talk to other people. We have to learn how to listen to other people. We have to learn how to not judge other people, but engage other people. And we talk a whole lot about that in this book. It's worth it how to talk to your right wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. And for a contribution of $120 to KPFT, $120 to KPFT. And by the way, you can get it broken down into pieces, uh, make you know, $10 a month, or however you want to do it, or just get it outright. You can get this book, It's Worth It How to Talk to Your Right Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, by just calling 713. 713- Five two six five seven three eight. Again, that is seven one three five two six five seven three eight. We can make a difference, but the difference doesn't occur on its own. We have to be empowered to do that. And I think using some of the many techniques that we've used through many of the organizations that I've worked through Coffee Party, Peace and Uh, uh, Move to amend And all of these Have incorporated A lot of those techniques Into what we do here How to It's worth it How to talk to your Right wing Relatives Friends And neighbors So please Give us a call At 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org, select uh, our polit- in name of politics and right, and you will be able to s- get this book for a kind contribution of $120. And it can be broken down or you can do it right away. But that is how we make a difference, folks. By you supporting us and we giving you this token, you are helping us continue to put that message out. Alternatively, my the, bu- the other book that I've written several uh, a few years ago, as I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom. This is a book that explains our economy, the flaws that we see in the economy that has made it what it is today. One that transfers your wealth, your income, your hard-earned money to a few and that you have done it willingly because we have been so indoctrinated for so long in the way our economic system works. We explain how things work, and after learning, after seeing how these things really work, it would be immediately evident that you don't have to. We don't have to follow what was given to us, what was taught to us, because many of it wasn't uh, the uh, many of it wasn't the way you think it is, folks. Another contribution. One hundred and twenty dollars uh, for, the, uh, uh, and you get a token. This book, as I see it, class warfare—the only resort to right-wing doom. Go to kpft.org under politics then right, and you can actually select this as one of your 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 cont- one of the benefits you get from giving us that kind donation of one hundred twenty dollars. But we have a special: get both of them, uh, both of them. As I see it, class warfare—the only resort to right-wing doom. And it's worth it how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. And you can get the two of them combined for a discount, $200 for both of them. Please, folks, we, this I know this is just a token of appreciation for you supporting what we do. For you supporting what we do. So, folks, please give us a call, 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713 713- 526 526-5738, or you can go to kpft.org and select uh, select uh, uh, Politics and Right and the gift that you want. Folks, we are going to get busy, I told you, in as much as it is time for our summer drive. We want to make sure you hear some good, good programs that's going to get you through the day. In fact, for Politics and Right, get you through this Hour. We have great stuff for you. But anyway, let's go ahead and get busy with El Señor Juan Ribaldi. Let's get busy. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here. Today, we have a special guest. Juan Ribaldi is an international business advisor and principal and president of Ascent Advisor, a management consulting firm. He is the author of the upcoming book strategic transformation how to deliver what matters most for over 20 years Rivoldi has been advising leaders at the highest levels of business education and government on strategy organization and execution his clients include fortune 50 corporations as well as fast-growing private enterprises he successful launched he successfully launched and led three consulting firms and completed postgraduate studies at harvard business school and Wharton School of Business welcome aboard Juan Riboldi. how are you doing today
4: very well thanks Egberto it's a real pleasure being with you today
3: it's a pleasure having you on before we go into talking a little bit about your book um, one of the issues we want to talk about is immigration immigrants etc and you said something that that made me wonder for a bit because as it turns out both of us are immigrants I'm from Panama you're from Argentina now You said that you think the climate now is different than the climate that it was in 1980. You came here in 1980, I came here in 1979. Tell me a little bit about that.
4: Well, definitely it was a very different experience back then. Uh, Immigration policy was a lot simpler and the path to becoming a legal citizen if you were qualified and met some basic requirements didn't cost as much money and it didn't take as long. In my particular case, it was pretty straightforward. I was an international student, ended up marrying an American, and it really, in a matter of three years and $300, I was a legal citizen of the United States, and I've been very happy all that time. Um, I know now that today, people can spend upwards of 10, 15 years, even the rest of their lives trying to uh, find a path to legalization. And I have friends that have spent over $60,000 in legal fees and procedures, and they're still not able to finalize their paperwork. So it shouldn't be that complicated and that expensive for qualified immigrants. That's essentially your point.
3: Now, you know, there are some that would say that, uh, well, there are other countries where uh, you can't even do that. You can't ever become a real citizen of that country. So we are a special country in that all of us, I'm a US citizen, you're a US citizen. We have the ability to adapt a new country and and be, can be anything in this country, of course, except being president, but can be anything else in this country.
4: Yeah, definitely it is a country of great opportunities. And the United States has historically set a very high bar for the rest of the world. And many other countries have looked up to the United States for those reasons. It has attracted immigrants, throughout the centuries for those very reasons. But um, definitely there are other countries that are a lot more tight with their immigration policy. So without necessarily debating which approach is best, what I value about uh, America and the United States is these kind of like more of a melting pot, um, cultural uh, mindset to, to bring people from a lot of different places in the world, provide an opportunity and and this, this country has been built on immigrants, like you and I, people that, that have come seeking for better opportunities, work hard, and, and you know, create a path for our generations in the, from the future.
3: Now, you're from Argentina. Tell me a little bit about how you find, how, first of all, why did you really come here? You came here, you said to study, but Argentina has very good schools as well. Chile has very good schools. Brazil has very good schools. Why did you choose America?
4: So uh, two two things, definitely, I had a very good education in Argentina. In fact, the two years of university education that I had in Argentina transferred uh, one for one, class for class, to two years of university education in the United States. So that's really a good proof that the quality of education was very comparable. Now, having a degree from an American university opens the doors to a lot of different things. Uh, I know full well that the the opportunities that I've had since graduating from universities here has been significantly better had I stayed in Argentina. But there is this other side to the story that I grew up through 12 years of a military dictatorship. Uh, The regime was very oppressive. The curfews were becoming more and more controlling uh, to the point that people were unjustly uh, imprisoned or or uh, tried for crimes that they didn't commit or anything like that. So the experience of growing up in Argentina was not necessarily endearing for me. And as soon as I came to America, it didn't take very long for me to realize that this was a completely different country where I felt I have more rights, even as an as an immigrant, you know, as an international student that I would have in my own country.
3: You know, that is amazing yeah. because what, what, what you had to say about, um, you know, what having the military military junta in Argentina and also coming here to the United States and seeing the type of freedoms that we had here. And that's why it's so disconcerting over the last several years. And this didn't happen just over this administration. This has been happening for quite some time now. Um, we've started to have a lot of these, these uh, paramilitary type institutionalists that we find in Colombia, that we find in Venezuela, that we find in, in, you know, in all these other places. And I don't know, I bring back memories to the kind of things that we have overseas. And I, there are many times I've spoken to some of the organizations that I work with here and I say, like, I've seen this before. And unlike many Americans don't understand that humanity, irrespective of where it's from, acts the same way. And the same thing that occurred in Argentina, the same thing that occurred in Chile, the same thing that occurred in Panama and all these other places when we have these type of revolts could happen here. What did it feel like when you turned on your TV on January 6th and saw what you saw?
4: Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, immediately was feeling of reliving the beginning or the early stages of that process that led to some of the most uh, controlling and most uh, radical forms of government. And when you see the rule of the mob, you're never going to find justice or freedom, you know? So so it it was um, definitely very discouraging. Uh, I didn't ever expect to see that happening in America. Uh, I would have expected to see that happening in Argentina or in a third world country where we come from, that we're familiar to these type of things happening. And I hope that we don't have to repeat those type of events. I hope that the United States can live up to its higher purpose and its greater charter in the world. This is a country that has a leadership position in the world. And we are supposed to set an example and not... uh, become part of what we've seen in so many other places and ends up, you know, destroying institutions that that create civilization.
3: The truth is, I really think that immigrants are going to be sort of the saviors of this because those of us who've gone through this, uh, when I speak to groups at times, I I tell them what can be. And at first they're incredulous. And then they've seen January 6th and the phone kind of started ringing and saying, Oh, I see what you mean now. So it can happen here as well, you know. Um, go ahead.
4: Yeah, no, exactly. I was uh, working at an office where there are several other colleagues, and immediately as they turned their screens to what was happening, they all turned to me and said, "This is what you live through in Argentina." And I said, "Remarkably similar." And it's it's I never imagined seeing this in America.
3: It it was uh, it was shocking. To, uh, I can't say it was surprising. It was shocking to actually see it happen. I saw the genesis of it. In other words, and I'm, I'm sure you did as well. You could see that we were okay. marching into that sort of mob irrationality uh, mm-hmm. with the false stories and the created mm-hmm. stories, etc. cetera. Now, um, in as much as we are here now, I don't think that we've really crossed the line. I think uh, we averted quite a bit. Um, do you feel that uh, based on what you've seen here now, that you can be a net positive in, uh, with, with your rhetoric, with what you do to help this situation?
4: Well, throughout my, my whole life and what I do for a living as a consultant is about helping organizations work better together. And this is not about just improving corporate performance is also about improving the conditions of people and and customers and all of us as a society to to find better ways of working together. So definitely is um, everything that I do is towards finding a way to unify the many divisions and and divisiveness that exist in the nation to learn from our differences rather than fight over those differences to find better solutions in creative ways, to collaborate, to to really look beyond uh, personal opinions and differences and and just realize that we're in this together and we have to get out of this together too. So we have to find a way out. I still believe that this country and in society at large in the world will rise to a higher level, but we're definitely going through a very uh, period of a great uncertainty and everyone still feels it and we're not through this. I think that we're kind of like feeling our way. We're in the middle of a pandemic that is only exacerbating some of the other political tensions. And we have a lot of social tensions that you know uh, surface from time to time. And uh, you know, the political uncertainty adds to that. So I think that we, we will have to figure out how to unite and collaborate and work together to bring this country forward.
3: You know, what I what I wish more and the reason I ask you that is that I kind of got that from the narrative that you give. Um, In as much as we say uh, a melting pot, I kind of prefer a salad, right? Una ensalada. In other words, you don't have to turn it into one fusion. You can actually have because I'll be honest with you. Uh, some weekends I like to go have me some Indian food. I don't want to, don't want a mixture of Indian and Panamanian. I want Indian, real Indian food. I love it. Sometimes I want uh, Chinese food, Northern Chinese food sometimes and Southern Chinese food. Sometimes I just want something uh, Italian, you know? So I like the idea of, of enjoying the differences in, in things and using, and I, I wish that's what we taught that we didn't have to be the same, that we could enjoy the differences, you know? And I think if we learn that, it would be so much more positive than trying to say, let's all speak English. Let's all march this line. What's your thoughts on that?
4: So I think that differences between people and groups and organizations are inevitable because we're all different. They're necessary because that helps us grow and be better. And they're desirable for the very reasons that you were alluding to. We enjoy appreciating those differences. There's richness in that diversity. So if we can start looking beyond those differences as being a problem, an obstacle, something that we need to overcome or get everyone convinced Mm -hmm. that there's one right way, there is not one right way. There's many different ways and all of them are pretty okay. So the reality here is that we need to take the best that each person brings and and try to build something better going forward. So is there a need as a country to have some form of, you know, common ground, probably. I mean, we have the constitution is our common ground. We have a set of laws, that's our common ground. There there are common grounds that we all at some point need to agree to. But beyond that, we can allow a lot of differences and diversity to flourish. It would only enrich us if we can uh, accept that as, as something that is good and something that is valuable and not be afraid of it.
3: Exactly. And that's a great experiment that happens here. I mean, I, I, was, I interviewed a, a doctor from uh, uh, originally from India and she said, we have so many cultures in India, but the one thing I love about America is that we have all those different cultures we have in India, but then we also have the Latin American cultures, the Caribbean cultures, uh, So this is really the place that we have all of that. And the magic is that we've held it so long. And what's going to be difficult is for us to hold it all together, even as we grow. Let's talk a little bit about strategic transformation, how to deliver what matters for most. Tell me about your book. I didn't read it, but I love the title. And I want to talk about that, that transformation. Tell me a little bit about it.
4: So I think we all recognize that we live in a world of accelerating change. And change has been constant. Everyone knows that change is the only constant. But in the last several decades, change has not been constant, has been exponential. So the rate of change is accelerating at an exponential rate. So not even change is constant. So the point is that not all the change that we see happening in the world is necessarily for the better. So my focus has been on figuring out what makes the difference between those individuals, groups of people and organizations that change for the better, that actually made a step forward and advanced things in a positive way versus the ones that change for change sake, or maybe change in a way that make things worse. And we experience all of that in the world today. The part that is very interesting is that even um, as I research this topic of organizational change, you find that there's a third of changes that are very successful. The companies like Apple computers and Microsoft and Google and all that, that do extremely well. There's a third that somehow just stay in the game and are able to keep up with the economy and the competition. And there's a third that essentially become less and less relevant and ultimately may go out of business. And unfortunately we see a, a lot of people in, in that bucket too. So the question is, is that just the kind of a random thing? And when you really look closely inside of what those individuals, people and, and organizations did, they made choices that help them make the change a positive thing. And the fundamental choice behind all of this is whether we see the change going on out there as an opportunity or as a threat. The moment that you see what is going on as a threat, we start becoming defensive, we start protecting ourselves, we start distancing ourselves from others, and we start even blaming others. And at that point, you are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy that you will actually lose out in the process. People that look at what's happening as an opportunity reframe the real threats in the situation. It's not like the threats are imaginary, they are very real, but they reframe them as an opportunity and find a way forward in that we can all benefit from it. And all of a sudden then the people that are potentially a threat become my partners and become the people I work with to find a solution and we work through solutions to achieve a higher state. And when I talk about strategic transformation, is that I see all the time individuals and organizations that are choosing to move to that higher level. And as they do that, they do things that are remarkable. And they take us forward. They're advancing our standard of living, our our civilization to a whole new level. And that's what I'm really excited about to help to help move in that direction.
3: Well, listen, Huang, examination. I think un examining para now. Quick okay. exam. Exxon has been lobbying Congress to really make believe that there isn't this thing called climate change. You're a consultant. You were hired by Exxon to make things right because Exxon is going into the ground because people are realizing climate change is real. They've been doing exactly what you said. They've been looking at climate change not as an opportunity. They've been looking at climate change as a problem that they had to fight. It is Juan Ribaldi's time to go speak to uh, one of the executives at Exxon. What are you going to tell him?
4: Well, the point is, uh, there's no point on denying the changes that are going on in the world, climate change being one of them, and many other trends. The, the real opportunity for organizations like Exxon is to find the opportunity in that situation. And in this moment, I probably couldn't tell exactly what that is, but I'm sure that even in the acknowledgement of realities like climate change, we can find ways that companies like Exxon can be a partner, a global citizen in not only solving this problem, but addressing it in creative ways through the technologies and the markets that they serve. You know, it may sound like, you know, uh, not likely right now people may want to to saying all fossil fuels are the problem. There must be a very clever application for that, that we may have not thought through that could be part of the greater solution. But the point is, let's not try to fight that. Let's accept it for what it is and start working towards a solution.
3: I think that is so important because I'm gonna pick up on what you just said right there. Because I think if Exxon uh, during, I don't know if you remember back in 79, when both of us got here, you '80, me, 79, there's this product, this thing called a SynFuel, where they're going to create synthetic fuels. And synthetic fuels could have been done from biomass and all these things, which biomass is actually a green technology when you look at it because it's circular, right? You know, you get Mm -hmm. carbon, you put the carbon back and you get carbon and that sort of a thing. And they blew their chance. How long ago was 79 again? That is, my daughter is pretty darn old now. And uh, it's a long time. And look how much time was wasted because they didn't believe in strategic transformation, nor did they believe in how to deliver what matters most. Juan Ribaldi, uh, this is a question I ask everybody.
2: When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
1: This message is sponsored by Amazon.
3: I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. It goes as follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Hmm.
4: Well, probably what I like best about living in America Tell me. So I love the opportunities that this country brings. I love the diversity of this country. Even in the chaotic and convoluted times that we live, I still feel that this country allows for a lot of different uh, views and expression of those views. And even when those views sometimes lead us into violent uh, encounters, I think that we as a society are able to rise above all that and just like we've seen happening uh, recently, still have a peaceful transition of power to a new presidency. And that is an example that I think we, is a legacy of this country and I want it to last forever.
3: I think that is an excellent uh, closer because I, I think we both concur on that. It's, it's so important for folks to know uh, those people who came here had a choice and that we want this place to succeed Makes us some of the biggest patriots in the country. Juan Ribaldi, thank you so kindly for having been here on Politics Done Right. You have thank a you. wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Alberto. Pleasure being with you. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed. Juan, please remember call 713 526 5738 or go to kpft.org and take. Of The two books we are offering for a great reward of whatever contribution you can give to KPFT right now. We need your support. We wait on your support. But anyhow, let's continue. We had a, an unpatriotic, seditious insurrection in this country. There was a coup attempt against the United States government. That is a fact. The fact that Donald Trump walked... The fact that Donald Trump was acquitted by 43 Republicans is a shame on this country. But we can't, as a people, ever forget how real this was, that people got killed, and that Donald Trump was holding back support for quelling that insurrection with likely an expectation that things would get out of hand. Important, and when I say important, I mean... Uh, leaders, the the head leaders in Congress would have gotten killed, and given him the opportunity to create martial law or to declare martial law. That is likely the scenario that this criminal was attempting. We cannot, in reporting, make any mistakes as far as making it seem this was just a riot. This is just placé. That we are somehow the American population somehow guilty for carrying this out, or not forcing these guys to pay—that's not true at all. And in that light, I want to play you a piece that 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 really irked me on uh, on with Chuck Todd. But the good thing about it is, a reporter she had the immediately right response. Check this out. Let's take it on the other side did we give a permission slip to our politics to be more violent by not holding anybody accountable for these actions yet
2: i'm not entirely sure who you mean by we i mean when if I say you're talking we, about the senate and the yeah. republican party yeah. um you know so far essentially the only person who has uh, the only people who have sanctioned uh, Trump in any way uh, is Silicon Valley, right? Um, the Justice Department, of course, is plowing ahead with investigations, opened up some 200 cases of people who were involved in the insurrection. Um, NPR's investigation shows um, that a, a percentage of those people cited Trump specifically uh, in their kind of motivations or suggestions about why they were doing what they were doing. This conversation isn't over. Um, but I, I think it sounds like on this panel, I'm the person who is a little more pessimistic about um, what this means going forward for the Republican Party. I did not see some opening to the door of a a grand revitalization or some change or Trump saying goodbye. Um, What I see is a party that is clearly still in his thrall, lawmakers who are still fearful of him. and, And what that what that means going forward is quite serious.
3: Audie Cornish, NPR's Audie Cornish got it perfectly. So when Chuck Todd says, did we, are we allowing more of this type of insurrection, this violent politics to occur? She said, wait, wait, what are you talking about we? We're talking about 43 Republicans who let a criminal off, a, cri- a former president that was a criminal off. We're talking about a Republican party who is in a minority party who is intent on possibly doing harm to our democracy. This isn't We, name the ones who are causing harm. Do not try to placate the insurrectionists or the enablers of the insurrectionists with the way we speak for some sort of a soft media-like tonality. That is not how it's done. That is not how we put to the American people the urgency, the urgency with which we must attack what is occurring in this country, which is a fascist sect intent on getting their will by all means necessary. Hope you enjoyed that. Folks, please give us a call at 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738, or go to kpft.org. Give us a contribution for whatever you can, but if you want to be even more Uh, helpful, you can go ahead and get our book, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors for a good contribution of $120, or you can get our, as I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom folks 713-526-5738 and remember there's a special if you get both books at the same time you can uh, contribute $200 and folks we would be so thankful you will be would be keeping us alive let's continue the program jamie raskin said it all right in his interview with chuck todd i want you to listen to this then let's take it on the other side because this is rather important
2: Insurrection versus dereliction of duty. And I know you made a, a pretty uh, compelling argument, I think, in your closing argument about how they were, you couldn't disaggregate them. If it had
3: been dereliction of duty, it looks like you might have gotten two or three others.
1: You know, th- remember, th- these Republicans uh, who voted to quit in the face of this mountain of unrefuted evidence We're going to find some reason to do it. So if we had charged dereliction of duty, they would have said, that's not an impeachable offense. You've got to deal with that within the military system. The president is not right. bound by the code of of universal military justice and the uniform code of military justice and so on. I mean, you know, you can always come up with a lawyer's argument to get to where you want to go. And they did not honestly confront the reality of what happened to America, which was Donald Trump incited a violent mob to attack the Congress of the United States. So you know what? We have no regrets at all. We left it totally out there on the floor of the U.S. Senate. And every senator knew exactly what happened. And just go back and listen to McConnell's speech. Everybody was convinced of the case we put forward. But, you know, as the Defense lawyer said, just pick any one of these phony constitutional defenses, and then you can justify it. It could be First Amendment, it could be Bill of Attainder, it could be due process. All of them are nonsense. I thought that I successfully demolished them at the trial. But you know, there's no reasoning with people who basically are, you know, acting like members of a religious cult and when they leave office should be selling flowers at Dulles Airport.
3: Raskin got it all right. Think about this. If we continue to let it be known that everyone knew including McConnell, that Donald Trump was guilty. But it's because of cult-like behavior, a cult-like behavior, people who act as if Donald Trump is the leader of this cult, the leader of this church, and which they cannot go against. That's the only reason they tolerated this. That's the only reason he didn't get guilty. That's the only reason that they have put this country at risk. It is Trump over country. Real quick before we get to Jeff Reese, please call 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org in support of uh, Politics on Right and KPFT. Please go ahead and give us a call and get those books or give whatever contribution you can. Let's keep Houston's community radio alive, KPFT. Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today we have a special guest. Jeff Reese. Jeff Reese is the president of the Houston Peace and Justice Center, a very important organization, activist organization here in Houston, Texas. Look, you know, we talk about doing the local, the national and the international. Well, today we have Jeff. Jeff, first of all, welcome to Politics Unright. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, Alberto. Thank you for having me. I appreciate well,
3: it. Well, look, it's important because, you know what, we do a whole lot of, uh, of interviews with a whole lot of people that are doing a whole lot of good things. And we think that is the only way we're gonna get that kind of a message out to let people understand that this is how you make change, being active within the community, being active within organizations. Jeff, before we get started, I know you're president of HPJC, but I want to know who the hell is Jeff Reese first. So tell us a little bit about you by looking in that camera and telling us who you are.
0: Uh, Alberto, you know, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel when you got me on here, I'm afraid. I, uh, I retired after 26 years of the Harris County Sheriff's Department, but I uh, prepared for my law enforcement career by going to art school. I, uh, I do psychedelic artwork, and so I have to paint under an alias, uh, Solomon Kane, uh, so I can put the initials SK, which is, stands for Soren Kierkegaard, the father of existentialism, who is a Danish philosopher and a big fan of his. So um, I have a kind of a mixed bag. I, I wound up as the president of the Houston Peace and Justice Center, not because I wanted to, but because basically nobody else would do it. And after I took the job, I found out why. So, but at the same time, there's nothing more important than peace and justice. Uh, It's the reason I became a police officer. Same thing. I'm not, I don't feel that I've changed sides whatsoever. I I taught mental health. I was a um, helped form the new mental health unit for the Harris County Sheriff's Department. I've been published nationally. I wrote I, I on uh, religion and mental illness and uh, crisis intervention. I was a suicide counselor, uh, amongst other things. And so it's kind of, for me, a natural fit for the Houston Peace and Justice Center. There's a, a peaceful way to solve problems. I, I think um, it, it takes a little effort, but it's, much, it's, it's worth the effort, Alberto, I, I think.
3: Well, you know, it's great to hear that we have a police officer, a former police officer, that talks about mental issues, that talks about uh, people uh, in, in the state of committing suicide and that sort of thing. Because what we have right now is, you know all the issues we have with the police department. We can go into some of that later on. But the idea that we have somebody that says, I understand those particular issues are, uh, are, are problematic in society and doesn't always require a gun as the solution but likely being able to talk people down. So before we get into HPJC, tell me a little bit about that, because as we've seen in Rochester, New York, and a lot of other places, uh, police officers have, have overreacted many times because maybe they didn't have your training. And what can we do about that?
0: Well, see, that that's the issue. Um, they, they have had the training. They rejected the training, uh, unfortunately. Um, People that know violence, and that's the only way they know how to solve a problem, they resort to violence. That's the first thing they do. And too many police officers are taught a very militaristic uh, way to police. A lot of times they actually recruit from ex-military. A lot of times these individuals have just come from uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, and then you take them over here, you give them a gun and a badge, and already they look at everyone as being the enemy, and that's the problem. They see everyone as the enemy, and, and there's a, a camaraderie, a peer pressure that most police officers have, and that's that thin blue line. You never cross it. And no. I all over it in my career, so I'm not maybe not the best person to tell you about
3: that. Well, I mean, let me. You, you've been a cop, so, and I think you kind of opened the door as far as when you tell me that um, the, the police officers have a tendency to look at everybody as the enemy. While I, I, I take that on merit, I want to ask another question and for you to answer on merit. Um, it seems, however, that the enemy generally has a more colorful hue, if you know what I mean. Tell me, how have you seen that within the departments that you've worked, not necessarily your own, but the the departments as a whole?
0: Yes, especially the one that I I came from. Um, And I I did talk about systemic racism in in law enforcement. You've got to realize um, back in the day, and it's still that way, it's a very controlled environment. They solicit from basically a high school area of, of level of education. Now they've Creative professionalism calls for some college or college degrees, but a lot of times they, they recruit from Caucasian, middle-income areas. And these people have not had any interactions with anybody else but people that are like them. And people fear what's different, unfortunately. So when you put someone in that situation and then you train them, you train them uh, that they, these people are the enemy, all right, that uh, it's better to be tried by 12 than carried by six. And no matter what happens at the end of your shift, you're going to go home and you train these people. That's exactly what they're going out there with. Unfortunately, they don't realize what about the other people out there that have families that want their loved one to come home also.
3: And now now I I would give you that, uh, but, uh, but there's a special that I, I think there's probably a good number of people that follow that scenario that you said, but when you
4: introducing touch free payments from PayPal a safe way for your customers to pay simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan whether you're a market seller I'll
3: take two and a
4: poodle pamperer
3: <laughs>
4: piano tuner or plumber signing up to accept touch free payments for your business is easy
1: They were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
3: Look at what happened to George Floyd. That was a special kind of hate that wasn't uh, I feared for my life, don't you think? Oh, well, definitely. That that whole thing, when that man looked
0: at the camera, he knew he was being filmed, and he smiled while he allowed this man to die at his hands. That was emblematic, if you will, problematic of the whole situation. That summed it up. And that's why so many people protested, including myself, went out on the street and said, hey, wait, What do you do? what's going on here? Finally, this is the first time more people of lighter complexion stood with people of darker complexion when it finally sunk in, the fact of what's really going on out there. And the problem is you need to realize the man that did that was a training officer. He wasn't just any officer. He was a training officer who did what? He enabled people to be just like him. In fact, if you didn't act like him, you would be failed out. You'd be washed out of law enforcement if you didn't act like him. That was the norm. OK, and it reminds me, Egberto, um, there's a, a Chinese philosopher. I think it was Lunan. I can't remember his name. So don't quote me on you know, the exact person. Back in the Middle Ages, they had this philosophy that we separate things that should never be separated. They had the viewpoint that the whole human race is one big family. They said the problem was some of us don't treat the others as family members. And that's the truth. Would you step on your brother's neck and cause him to die? If he was a cousin, a brother-in-law, a sister-in-law, you know, what about your father and mother? These are the same people that are out there, but they've allowed us to separate things and view us as different and it's kind of like the duopoly, if you will, when politics done right, we had Democrats and Republican. But, you know, I think the saying is both wings belong to the same bird. You know, it's not about Republican and Democrat. It's not about conservative and liberal. It's not about black and white. It's about all of us together. You know, and I, I think if you think of what Rodney King said, can't we all just get along? Isn't that sad.
3: Well, you know, having a police, office, a former police officer, police trainer, police manager as now the president of HPJC Houston Peace and Justice Center, I think that it, um, maybe you thought nobody else wanted the job. Maybe they just wanted an officer who had a heart and who could see things the way they should be seen uh up on you know you know for at the helm for a while so anyhow tell me a little bit about what you uh, first of all tell me a little bit about what hpjc does houston peace and justice center
0: well the houston peace and justice center i, I first came across dave atwood i don't know if you know dave i think yes, dave very well yes he's a good he's a good man i have an art studio and he had come by my art studio when i was still a police officer and I talked to Dave. So in the back of my mind, when I retired, I kind of knew what direction I was going to go into anyway. Um, however, the Houston Peace and Justice Center is kind of like a, a, an amalgamation it's the clearinghouse supposedly of all the peace activists. Their goal was and, and Ted and I are working on this uh, because, you know, some of the mission statement and the vision statement needs to be modified to fit reality. And I think the goal of the Houston and Peace and Justice Center was to be this clearinghouse, this great place where all the activists could come together and get information. Where If we come together as one, we have power. As long as we're fragmented and, and disjointed, we, we don't have power, and that's what the system wants. It wants to keep us separated. They want us to keep viewing us as different. However, the Houston and Peace and Justice Center, to me, is the one place where we're all one person. We're all one people. We're all so together. That, Same goal.
3: Let me see if I get you right. That means that different, different organizations, irrespective of what they support, as long as they're supporting peace, justice, etc., yes. they can come and meet together at the, the, the blogs that we have, the website that we have, set up events and all that sort of stuff, so that it is shared among all these groups that have a, a common interest in whatever form, Correct. Exactly. Exactly.
0: We have a calendar of events on our website. Any organization that is peace and justice or anything that's related to peace and justice, you can come and post on our website. We'll allow you. That's a gatekeeper. It's a WordPress site. I think you probably learned a little bit about that today, Alberto. Right. Anybody can do that, and then it has to be approved, and then it's posted on our calendar of events, so anybody can get their event out there and get more publicity and more uh, acknowledgement of what's going on in the peace and justice movement in Houston.
3: Now, this uh, organization as well, I think uh, it it actually does things on its own. In other words, it has several major events uh, throughout the year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Well, yes, we're trying to expand upon that a little bit. Our our big thing is our our Peace Awards. Uh, It used to be a banquet. Last year, it was a Zoom. But uh, we we pick a national award winner, and we pick local award winners, and we we picked you, Alberto. I don't know if you remember, a couple years ago. um, For all your effort, you you need to be recognized, and and that was a long time coming, and we were happy to award you our local Peacemaker Award, and and that was well-deserved. And so that's what we do. We try to recognize people that are trying to strive for peace and justice. And, and so that's, that's one aspect that we have. We also have working groups, all right? We have a foreign and military alliance that Joe Marcinkowski heads up, and we have criminal justice, which Dave Atwood heads up, and that's also civil rights. We have economic justice. We have environmental justice, and we have peace camp, and, and this is where everything begins. If you train a child when they're young about peace and justice – when they grow up, they'll have a different perspective. And I, I think that has been sorely lacking here in America. We don't teach what we should teach our children. And, and, and my wife's a second grade school teacher, so I can tell you. They've taken civics out of the elementary schools. They've taken so many things out. And what they're teaching, they teach memorization. And, and the Chinese, going back to Lunan when he said that we separate things we shouldn't separate, um, they, they viewed the way we educated our children as a form of mental illness. We teach people to memorize. That's not educating them. All right. We used to teach rhetoric. We used to teach integrity and, and, and things in, in our school system that they're not really there. And we need to bring them back, I think. And so with Peace Camp, I think what we're trying to do is teach these kids. You can resolve a, a, a situation nonviolently. You don't have to shoot each other. You don't have to have road rage on the street where people pull over and kill each other. They shot a nine-year-old girl. And I think if that person stopped and asked, him, hey, you really want to shoot a nine-year-old girl in the head? Mm-hmm. Of course not. But they're not thinking and they're acting out of anger. And going back to, I think his name was Lunan, he said this. He said, we separate things. He says, the problem is this. We look at life as... As, as different and separated. We look at death as, as a uh, deviation and a long life as a norm. He says, but that's not true. It's, you know, we're going to die, all right? We look at sickness as a deviation and health as a norm. But he says, you're going to be sick throughout life. There's going to be a time where you're going to be ill, all right? There's going to be a time where you're healthy. All this is intertwined. Life and death is intertwined. And he went on to say many different things. But basically this is that we separate things that we shouldn't separate. We have to look at each other as one big family. And this is a giant hole. And it it is to our own benefit to make sure that our brothers and sisters are taken care of.
3: That is so true. You know, a few weeks ago, I interviewed uh, Helen Lee uh, Boogies. She's a a founder of the uh, Reboot Foundation. And she said something similar. She said, one of the things that we have lacking why things like fake news is so, so prevalent now is that we don't have critical thinking. And believe it or not, there's some intersectionality with what you just said, because what you just said is we are, we're teaching our kids just to memorize, memorize tests, not to critically think things through. And if you don't critically think things through, if I tell you something about somebody, you just take it at face value. You don't try to evaluate why is it that we're not looking into the humanity of someone. So, I mean, I think you hit that nail on the head, my brother. I think you hit that nail on the head. Now, what's, uh, what, how, uh, how long have you been president of uh, the HPJC?
0: Well, I'm in my third year now, and I'm term limited. So we need to find a replacement for me, thank God. Um, you know, uh, it, it's time for a change and the bylaws are written in such a way, which is a good thing that it, it, the positions have a three year, at least the presidency does uh, a limitation and it's, it's time for someone else to step in and do the job. Well,
3: I mean, you've been doing a, a great job and, uh, you know, if, if the bylaws say something, it says something. And I guess, uh, uh, you'll, you'll, you're already, I, I notice you're already prepping folks to come and, 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 oh, yeah. and, and, and take over the reins. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> you know, but, but that is good. So uh, what's in your future after you're done in December?
0: Well, you know, you never, peace and justice, got, it, it's something that's constant. Until you die, you're going to keep working for it. I mean, if you're really uh, dedicated. So that's never going to change. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'll be alive tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. I think we 're so afraid of death that we we don 't live, and so every day is a great day uh, edward i, I don 't know what i 'm going to do tomorrow i can 't tell you what i am going to do next year. I might not be here I, I'm, you know who knows eventually i won 't be here we'll all we all have to go to that and transition to that next existence so well
3: uh, I am pretty sure jeff you 're going to be here for quite some time i 'm pretty sure when you leave the presidency of the uh, of the uh, Houston Peace and Justice Center that you 'll be right there with the Houston Peace and Justice Center doing what you've always done, which is being a part of Houston, not only Houston, being a part of peace and justice throughout the country. So, Jeff, I, this is a question I ask everybody at the end of an interview. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't?
0: You know that—that's the million-dollar question. I—I I listen to your show all the time, Igberto, and I hear you ask that of everyone. And I'm thinking, you know, I just never thought I would be in that position to be asked that question. But since you ask it, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, that's a, that's a really good—that's uh, a good question. Um, you know, there the, there's no the, the thing is there are no bad questions, and and so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm it's kind of well, kinda... you
3: know, that that's good. I mean, if if you say you don't know, I feel kind of. Good. That means I asked you quite a bit of questions. And, you know, so, hey, look, uh, let me tell you, Jeff, please keep doing what you're doing, because I think uh, society needs good people doing good things. And uh, and if if what you're doing is a net positive for society, then society gets better. So thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. And you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed our program today. We need to have you be a part of all of us because we are in this together. Call 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org to support this station. We are offering you my book, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Friends, Relatives, and Neighbors, as well as As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom. Each of these books has a contribution of $120. If you get them both together, it's a contribution of $200. We are making a difference. You are making a difference. When you support us, it makes sure that we can continue to provide you this type of of programming, It is so important that we get deeper than you get on mainstream media. Folks, please give us a call, 713-526-5738, or go to kpft.org. Please provide this contribution in the name of Politics Done Right for KPFT. Folks, don't forget, you can get Politics Done Right on a daily basis by going to politicsdoneright.com. Again, you can go to right.com. We have it on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. Go to politicsdoneright.com to get more information. How you can watch Politics Done Right every day of the week at the same time, 3 p.m. 713 526 5738. To support KPFT.org, go to PoliticsDoneRight.com for your daily dose of Politics Done Right at 3 p.m. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at EGBERTOWILLIES. That is at Egberto Willies. Let us engage. It is politics done right.
2: When I hear something amazing, oh, and feel free to tell your friends too. So Kohl's, they're having a huge sale on summer stuff. And if you live for sunny days like I do, you need to check it out. I got 40% off a new patio set, Food Network Grilling Essentials for 20% off, and 50% off those yard games my kids won't stop talking about. Best part, I got an extra $10 off and some Kohl's cash. It almost makes being cooped up all winter worth it. Almost. Select styles, 10 off 25 offer valid May twenty seventh through 31st. Some exclusions apply. See store or kohl's.com for details.
1: I'm Robert Conte, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together, we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a
0: reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or tick it.